I think that the most basic impulse of heterodoxy is curiosity. The most basic impulse of heterodoxy is an openness to questions of the form, what else might be said about this topic? How else can we think about this idea? That's what heterodoxy is all about. And that's what curiosity means. John Tomasi with us on Heterodox Out Loud. Today's episode is longer than usual and is all about the purpose of higher education. John is Heterodox Academy's first president and has just started his new role. In his blog, he argues that there exists an unassuming and often neglected value that should become the North Star of educational institutions. He says this value may have the power to heal deep divisions on our campuses and in our classrooms. I'm Zach Rausch. Stay with us. Back in September of 2015, social psychologist Jonathan Haidt, law professor Nicholas Rosencrantz, and sociologist Chris Martin founded Heterodox Academy. Their goal was to study and counter the ideological imbalances in their academic fields to help improve the quality of research being produced. However, what they were up against was much more complex than they originally assumed. In those early months of Heterodox Academy, Jonathan Haidt wrote his essay, why universities must choose one telos, truth or social justice. This addressed some of the problems he saw emerging on college campuses. He ultimately argued that universities can only hold one primary sacred value, and that must be truth. Today's blog responds to John's thesis and asks us to consider a new sacred value, one that presupposes both truth and social justice. The blog Curiosity U was written by John Tomasi, and is read by Jonathan Todd Ross. We'll speak with John in a few minutes. On the main green at Brown University, there is a sculpture by the Italian artist Giuseppe Pinone. Pinone is best known for large works exploring the relationship between man and nature. The installation at Brown Idee di Pietra, Ideas of Stone, subtly interrogates that intersection. And yet, to the casual observer, the piece is something at once more prosaic and more strange, a boulder caught in the branches of a tree. Taking my lunch break on the main green, I enjoy watching people's reactions to the Pinonet installation. Sometimes groups touring the campus, prospective students and anxious parents, walk directly beneath the sculpture, unaware of the artistic drama taking place above their heads. If just one person in the group looks up, I have observed, the rhythm of the whole group is disrupted. Eyes follow eyes upward as the group comes to a disjointed halt some carrying forward as others stop dead in their tracks. There is a moment of surprise as people turn to one another, strangers unexpectedly united by perplexity. A few glance around and laugh nervously, as though wondering if some joke is being played on them. After a pause, the group reorganizes and returns to its steady, 
predictable touring pace. At the edge of the green, as the group slows to fit through an arch, one person, a prospective student perhaps, pauses. Before disappearing through the arch, she takes a last look back across the green and up at Pinone's tree-borne riddle. It is that student's look that fascinates me. Rethinking Telos In 2016, Jonathan Haidt gave a talk at Duke University that has proven highly generative for the Heterodox Academy membership and community. If every university must declare a commitment to a single highest goal, Haidt asked, should that goal be truth or social justice? For Haidt, famously, the answer is clear. Every university must have one sacred value, and that value is truth. Applying the principle of constructive disagreement, heterodox. The blog has posted pieces subjecting Haidt's thesis to scrutiny from a great variety of critical perspectives. For example, Oliver Traldi's The Truth Is Not Enough, Patrick J. Casey's Truth and Social Justice, How Universities Can Embrace Both of These Values, and Justin McBriar's Even Truth You Cares About Social Justice. Is it truth that universities should valorize? Or some more compound epistemic concept such as knowledge? Even if social justice is not properly the final goal of universities, shouldn't universities adhere to justice as a necessary condition or side constraint of their knowledge pursuit? If there is a truth about the proper requirements of social justice, doesn't that suggest that universities can, indeed must, pursue both goals at once? Yet my interest today lies elsewhere. I am wondering why that student at Brown looked back at Pinone's sculpture. I believe that what stopped and turned her was something unique in its simplicity and power. Curiosity. And curiosity, I will suggest, is a concept of utmost importance to the members of Heterodox Academy. On Curiosity To be curious at root is to wonder about possibilities. Curiosity is what draws us to look behind the curtain of the ordinary. It is about being impatient with the status quo, including even a status quo of one's creation. Curiosity generates a gentle impatience with the given, the obvious, combined with a hopefulness about the new and yet unseen. For individuals, curiosity stirs us from our slumbers, encouraging us to throw off the heavily patterned blankets of the lives we have lived so far and step out into the adventures of time and change. What could be more human than this? In the pantheon of human experiences, I count curiosity as among the most basic, 
standing alongside even love and loneliness. A facet of human experience everywhere and always, curiosity has a special status within communities of learning. After all, it is curiosity that stimulates the pursuit of understanding. In that sense, curiosity is prior to truth and knowledge alike. Further, it is out of respect for the minds of our fellow citizens, for our shared human capacity to dream and wonder, to wonder not only for ourselves, but also about ourselves and the different ways our lives might go. That gives our concern for social justice its point. As with truth, so with justice. Curiosity comes first. If there is a single value the university must hold sacred, I submit, it is curiosity. Over the past decade, while campus battles have raged, the fruits of curiosity have continued to ripen and to drop among us, delicious in their variety. In 2019, a team of scientists captured the first-ever photograph of a black hole, a huge step forward in physicists' understanding of the universe. In the UK, a team of historians and geneticists used mixed methods to positively identify the remains of Richard III, King of England and Lord of Ireland, whose death in 1485 is widely understood to mark the end of the English Middle Age. At Brown, brain scientists recently found intriguing links between political polarization and aversion to uncertainty, a phenomenon they traced on both sides of the ideological aisle. Meanwhile, just a decade ago, astronomers knew of only 450 or so planets beyond our solar system. Today, they know of more than 4,000. It is not only scholarship that is driven by curiosity. Learning leans hard on curiosity, too. My first semester in college, I took a philosophy course in which, after reading Descartes, we were assigned a paper with the prompt, How do you know that your life is not a dream? Philosophy grabbed me that day, and has yet to let go. I'm guessing that most Heterodox Academy members could share similar stories of their own. But curiosity also drives vocationally-based forms of learning, and sometimes in surprising places. At Crossroads, Rhode Island, an agency for the homeless in Providence, medical mannequins in a window near the shelter routinely spark curiosity in homeless clients who are looking for a career, often leading them to ask about the certified nurses' assistance classes in which those mannequins are used. How might my life go? Where might this course of learning take me? It is true that curiosity makes students of us all, but the deeper truth is that curiosity unites us all as students. Compared with academic telois such as truth or social justice, curiosity encourages ancillary virtues, patterns of interaction, 
that are more lovely. We all know the downside of the warrior attitudes associated with the pursuit of social justice on college campuses, the self-righteous anger of deplatformers, or the nihilistic approach to social conflict in which feelings trump reason. But if the attitudes of social justice are overwarm, truth has icy companions of its own. Against the plea for safe spaces, defenders of truth sometimes assert that the university should be a place of discomfort, of intellectual danger, or that walking onto campus should be like stepping into a cold shower. Learning hurts, kid. Get used to it, they say. Perhaps, but by contrast, there is something connective and thus joyful about curiosity. When someone begins a sentence, I wonder why, it would take a hard heart indeed not to hear them asking, could you help me understand how, or shall we think about this together? Each expression of curiosity is an invitation to connect. When we see curiosity in another, we recognize in them a place for ourselves. It is a place to enjoy an intellectual adventure with another. Like truth and social justice, curiosity carries an imperative of its own. The primary demand of curiosity is that it be allowed to roam free. What's more, by its very nature, Curiosity recognizes only boundaries that it sets for itself. Individual by individual, working group by working group, curiosity stakes out and claims possession of its own domain. But even this sells curiosity short. Curiosity is an inveterate transgressor of boundaries. After all, None of us can know with certainty where another person's curiosity might lead. Disciplinary boundaries and ideological ones, too. No fence can stop curiosity. It slips past every wall. And yet, unlike truth or justice, curiosity finds its imperatable power precisely in its own gentleness. Consider the phrase, I wonder why. In its quiet and unassuming way, this expression of curiosity depends on no reason or justification beyond itself. Instead, curiosity is justified simply because, and wherever, it is expressed. While this self-justifying power attends expressions of curiosity everywhere, the status and power of curiosity is amplified by the special conditions of university life. On campus, whenever a colleague or a student leads with a sincere expression of curiosity, I wonder whether, that expression has the ability to stop and turn even the weightiest conversation, like an Archimedean lever. And woe to any authority figure who fails to honor the insistent force of curiosity. Teachers or scholars who discount sincere expressions of curiosity, say by ignoring an inconvenient question or by belittling the person asking it, 
reveal themselves as pretenders, as bullies and frauds in the kingdom of learning. Fail to honor curiosity even for a moment, and the mask of authority melts from your face. For all these reasons, I suggest that the practice of curiosity is a sacred value, the highest of goals for learning communities of all kinds, high schools, colleges, and research universities too. In all such places, curiosity arises and asserts its imperative claims, prior even to the concepts of truth and justice. So curiosity is a sacred value within every learning community. But, like that student on the brown-green looking back at Pinonet's boulder, curiosity deserves a special place in the worldview of the readers of this blog. The basic impulse of heterodoxy is an openness to questions of the form. I wonder what else might be said about this topic. Open yourself to such questions, and you are on the true path to heterodoxy. For you are walking and leading others by your example in the direction of a uniquely noble destination. Call it Curiosity You. Jonathan Todd Ross reading John Tomasi's blog, Curiosity You. Now our interview. John, it's such a pleasure to have you on Heterodox Out Loud. I'm really excited to have you start as HXA's inaugural president. So to start today, for our audience who haven't had a chance to, to hear from you before, can you tell us a little bit about who you are and how you came to Heterodox Academy? Sure. So let me just say first, I'm really happy to be here, and, and I appreciate your, your taking the time to interview me. I came to Heterodox Academy via an email that John Haidt sent me, um, I don't know, six years ago. At the time, I was very involved in building a center at Brown that I started 17 years ago. And so I signed on because I believed in the values and had been practicing them myself for the previous 10 years. But I wasn't much involved beyond signing up and lending my name to the effort. And then um, the board approached me uh, last spring, spring of 2021, to see if I might be interested in getting involved. And we started a conversation that led me to, surprisingly, perhaps, leave my tenured position at my beloved university and join John and the rest of the HXA team. And so why did you, why did you come? <laughs> <laughs> um, I believe deeply in the ideal of the university. I believe that the university is one of the miracles of the modern world, not only because it's in the modern world, but because of its roots to previous worlds. I see the university as all of society is being embarked on this long and glorious quest towards understanding and towards justice. And um, I see HXA as stepping in at a key moment, a key period in the development of the university. We're all aware of the conflicts and the uh, the downside of being involved in university life these days. I've been teaching at Brown for 25 years. I've been involved in a lot of the controversies that have happened on the campus. I think that when historians look back on the past 50 years of university life, say in the U.S., the big story 
is going to be the story about integration, the story about how these historically exclusive universities, and I mean historically as in forever, if you go back to Bologna, if you go back to Oxford, Harvard, the first one in the U.S., William and Mary, you name it, any university has until very, very recently been a male, a white male bastion of power. We embark on this overdue project to make our universities more inclusive, say 50 years ago, admitting women, for example, to the top universities. Uh, Michigan was a leader in that effort, kind of interestingly. And we're still integrating. And the big question in front of us is, well, can we integrate and finally become a just university? Finally, for the first time in history, have universities that are genuinely inclusive of people, regardless of their race or sexual orientation or their gender or their political or their religious viewpoints. For the first time in history, have universities constructed and populated in that inclusive way while yet retaining the beauty and the marvel and the joy of research and teaching. And we're not there, obviously. I think we're suffering as a university system, as people who care about universities. But it's not surprising that we're suffering. Think what we're trying to do. We're trying to create a university that the world has never seen, a university that, that's at once integrated, finally, and it is also still committed to taking that integration, taking the benefits of these new opportunities, of new perspectives, and fully building them into our research programs and our teaching programs. So the opportunity in front of us, this thing that we're, this process that we're in the middle of right now, which to me has a lot of the feel of a childbirth without any drugs, and it's painful, and it's sometimes, you know, I'm sorry for the metaphor, but it's bloody, and it's not fun for any of us in a whole bunch of different ways, and yet I see beauty in it. I see, a, I see beauty in what we're trying to achieve, and I'm not surprised that we don't know what we're doing. I'm not surprised that we're battling with each other. I'm not, and it's no surprise that people understand this process we're in in very different ways, in ways that lead some people to question, should we be involved in truth at all? Or should we be only about social justice? Or should we be involved in social justice at all? Should we be only about truth? It's not surprising we're confused. And HXA is playing this incredible role of the doula, that is the one giving, helping to give birth, seeing the way, seeing the bigger picture, looking to what we might achieve, say, 25 years from now, if we do it right, and if you love the right way, and if we're smart and strategic about this birthing procedure, and also, most importantly, if we're kind and gentle with each other while insisting on the possibility of a university that's truly integrated and truly committed to tracking truth. It seems like you're saying that over the past 50 years, we have seen an enormous amount of change in university life with increasing diversity. And where does curiosity fit into this story? And it does seem like you're centering social justice in a way that is a little bit different from people who prioritize the thinking of the university's sacred value as being truth. How does curiosity fit in here? So I'd love to talk about social justice, but let me put that aside just for a moment. I'll just tell you just sort of straight up why I started thinking about curiosity in the context of HXA. So when I came on the scene and started studying the organization and thinking about where HXA was and what it had become since I joined, you know, five years ago, 
I was really struck by that by John's John Height's um, Duke talk, the talk that a lot of us talk about at HXA. What's the telos of the university? Is it truth or social justice? Everybody's got to choose one or the other. I was struck by it in part because, as you may recall, at the end of that lecture, John gives an example of universities that are doing the right way and the wrong way. And the exemplar of the university doing it the right way, pursuing truth, is the University of Chicago. And the exemplar that John shows of the university doing the wrong way, (laughs) the university committed to social justice and therefore abandoning truth, is my university, Brown University. And I love Brown University. And I know what he means. I, I know, especially from the outside, that it looks like we're pursuing social justice. But working and living on this campus for as long as I have, I'm well aware that at Brown, people are focused on truth. There's great research being done on all kinds of important topics. And I know that people, it's true, as John said, that people do care about social justice too. And so I was just thinking to myself, well, you know, that truth versus social justice dichotomy, as powerful as it is, and as useful as it is, it does kind of set us up, set HXA up to be seen as being for truth and therefore being against social justice. It's not a good look. It's worse than not a good look. It's not a conceptually well thought out position. So when I saw this dichotomy, truth versus social justice, I started thinking to myself, well, is that what I think universities are really about? And I realized that what universities are really about, and from my own experience, my interior experience, most exciting moments is when I'm curious about something. When someone says something that surprises me and interests me, that's when scholarship is at its best. I walk around the campus sometime at Brown, and I look at these buildings, and I think to myself, think of the people right now inside these buildings in those offices and what they're doing in their brains. Think about the range of bizarre stuff that those people and they're sitting behind their desks are thinking about. Egyptology, a piece of papyrus, a long lost piece of history, a new way of thinking about justice, of all the different crazy things my strange colleagues, who these weird creatures in the zoo of the university and our disciplinary cages, strolling around, pacing back and forth, thinking about what we're like, what, we're, what we could be like, what this world is, what it was before, what it will be in the future. This is the crazy stuff of life. This is insanity in some ways that we have this. It's insanity with beauty just infused through it. But what drives that all? It's curiosity that sparks the fire that keeps universities warm. It's curiosity <laughs> that brings the light that makes the universities beautiful places, places worth wandering around, places worth cherishing. I think curiosity is the core of university life, but it's also worth noticing that curiosity has some features that can be very useful as we think about HXA going about its mission of healing and helping universities become what they could be. First, curiosity, unlike the search for truth and unlike the search for social justice, curiosity is a fundamentally connective idea. A student asks a question, I don't understand this, or why why don't we think of it this way? Or a colleague comes to your door and says, hey, have have you heard about this new idea? It's something we do together. So curiosity is not something that one does often by one's own toughening up and searching for truth, no matter how hard it's going to be. It's something that we do with one another in the most intimate way. There's something beautiful, beautifully connective about curiosity. And yet at the same time, 
Curiosity is the ultimate transgressor of boundaries, disciplinary boundaries, ideological boundaries. Curiosity cares not for them. (laughs) Curiosity goes where it wants to go. Curiosity takes us places where others may not want us to be. I think that the most basic impulse of heterodoxy is curiosity. The most basic impulse of heterodoxy is an openness to questions of the form, what else might be said about this topic? How else could we think about this idea? That's what heterodoxy is all about. I didn't mean to be saying, you know, here's the truth versus social justice paradigm. I'm going to propose a third champion to to take them both out. I actually think we need to pursue truth. Obviously, John's dead right about that. I think there are real dangers and real costs to pursuing social justice in certain kinds of ways that we see on campuses. But I also think there's that the university has a very important role to play in the quest for social justice. It's central to who we are. That's why we're integrating. It's because of justice. We know it was wrong for universities to keep women out, to keep Jews out, to keep blacks out, to keep Asians out. To keep, I mean, frankly, Italians and Catholics out because it's unjust. And it's correcting that injustice that's central to who we are now. We all know that. So denying social justice as a role of the university, that's just silly. It's fundamental to us, of course. It has to be. We're one of the central institutions, one of the central organs of a free society, a free democratic society. Of course, we're part of just the justice project. But curiosity is another topic that I think lies beneath both. And I think it's a concept that is both true to academia, and it's also a concept that we could rally around. Can you tell me a little bit about what does it look like to center curiosity in the classroom? And how did you actually do that in your time at Brown? I did it by accident. I did it by caring about them. I did it by noticing and then increasingly calling their attention to the fact that minds work in very different ways. I do this especially in my seminars, the small classes that I teach. I call students' attention to this idea that you can see your participation in a seminar in two different ways. One way is in a seminar, you read a bunch of stuff during the week and you show up in the classroom and you talk about the stuff you read that week. That's one conception of what a seminar is. It's not completely wrong, but another way to think about a seminar the way that I think about seminars and the way that I encourage my students to think about seminar is more like we're building a team and we're entering, going onto the field on the Friday in the first week of a long season. We're not going to be very good the very first week we meet, but we're there to get better. We're there to get better as a team. We're there to get better in part by learning each other, by observing each other, by seeing who's in this room by figuring out what assets do we have? Where are we strong? Where are we weak? This one person over there who talks a lot, is there a way to have to encourage her to talk a little bit less so she should be a better teammate? This person over there who hardly says a word, but when she does, it's really cool. How can we get her to be involved a little bit more? That person who plays too fast or talks too fast, how do we slow them down so they participate better? That's the first level stuff. But I try to call people attention to the idea that a seminar could be seen in its first simple way, read some stuff, show up, talk about it, go home, or it can be seen in a different way. 
We're part of a team and trying to get better together. Getting better together beyond the sort of first level stuff about how long you speak and how fast you speak is really a matter of trying to understand who's in the room with you intellectually. What are their minds like? How do they see the world? Entering in other people's minds in a lively way is an incredible way to learn. And so that's a, a really great classroom, in my opinion, especially in a seminar setting, is one where people are intensely focused, not just on the readings, but on the readings as a way to get to each other's minds. So I think of classrooms in that way, and I try to build classrooms that way. How do we scale this up to the university level? Do you want to say anything more on that? Uh, I have a lot to say about that, but I'm also still learning. And so I don't have a clear, it's not clear yet, but I will say this. You asked me before about Heterodox Academy and why I decided to join. And what really strikes me about Heterodox Academy, and it won't be a surprise, is the membership. You know, 5,000 plus members. At present, I think that most of the members are isolated and alone. And many of them are uncertain as to what they can do, what they might do to make their universities better. In fact, many of them don't even think they can make the university better. They're, I'm afraid to say, hunkered down and afraid. You know, the first decision I made as HXA's incoming president was to make public the names of our membership. You may know that for a variety of historical reasons, HXA until this week has not published the names and institutional affiliations of our members. There's a bunch of reasons for that. When I decided to join HXA and take this on, the reason why I joined, the fundamental reason I joined, is because I saw the possibility of activating the 5,000. Growing the number, <laughs> but I don't mind if it shrinks for a while, for a bit at first, so we can grow from a really strong, a truly strong base. And when I made the decision to require that our members, if they want to be members, let us publicize their names, I expected we would get some melt in our membership. But I was okay with that because I want to grow the membership from a strong base. But activating the 5,000 is my central idea for HXA. A number of people would say something like, don't you really see how crazy universities have become in, uh, in recent years? Ongoing cancellations, deplatforming, and then there's data showing that things have been getting worse on that front recently. What do you have to say to people who hold that view and what hope is there for, for universities? Uh, yeah, I'm very sympathetic to people who have those worries because I live it. And I guess I won't repeat what I said, but um, I really do think we're giving birth. I think we're, in the, we're, in the, we're, we're suffering together because we're doing this thing that's never been done before. I think people don't recognize the historic nature of what we're doing at this moment, this period. And it's really worth emphasizing, I think, that if you see how important and unlikely and difficult and necessary this project is, you might think differently about the cancellations and some of the bullying and some of the warfare and some of the argument. We look at each other sometimes on campuses, different groups look at each other on, on college campuses just with incomprehension. We can't understand how each other can see the things the way they see them, think the thoughts they think about university life. We look at each other just with incomprehension. But that's not surprising if you step back and understand what we're trying to do and reflect on what we're trying to accomplish. We're trying to accomplish something that's never been seen in the history of humanity. We're trying to achieve 
a truly integrated, non-exclusive university system, which is still a university system, a system which gets the benefits of pluralism finally, for the first time ever, finally. It's clear to me that no university has ever had the opportunity to seek truth in a genuine way. Why is that? Heterodoxy believes, Heterodoxy Academy believes, that viewpoint diversity is essential to seeking truth. And the less viewpoint diversity you have, the more hindered you are in your ability to truly seek the truth about a whole range of topics, including the truth about justice. And if you have universities populated only by, let's say, white males of a certain class and religion often, how can we think that's diverse? How is that viewpoint diversity? We need more viewpoints. We need more different kinds of people, not only as a matter of justice, but in the service of science. You've touched on this, but where does Heterodox Academy fit into really helping build this kind of collaborative project of universities? How are we helping? ICHXA is having a is occupying a distinctive space that's really necessary. Broadly speaking, when I think about social construction and social change, I think there's sort of two broad strategies for social change. One is what I think of as fighting bad things. And the other is building good things. HSA is fortunate to have some powerful allies working in this space alongside us. And, you know, for example, FIRE, the Foundation for Individual Rights in Education, and the AFA, the Academic Freedom Alliance. They're both involved in this extremely important process with us. They're playing a different role than, than HXA does. Both FIRE and the AFA, the Academic Freedom Alliance, they are focused on doing this extremely important work of fighting bad things. And there are lots of threats on universities to free speech, and there are lots of threats about due process that professors face that intimidate them and keep them keep our universities from being in the great places they, they should be. And yet, even if you have free speech rights fully enforced and respected, even if you have due process procedures up on campuses and running appropriately, that doesn't give you what you need for a university. You also need a positive, constructive project. You need someone, and this is HXA, you need an organization who's going to work directly with students and professors to improve the quality of teaching and research within those rights of free speech. The free speech gives you the opportunity to build something beautiful and important. HXA is, has the lovely task of building something good by attempting to reach directly out to the universities, dire reach directly onto campuses, to encourage professors and students to have faith during these difficult times, to not turn their backs on their universities, to not just walk away, to not to give up, even though the pain of this birthing process is intense and difficult and unfair that is given to us. We don't want to drink this cup. We just want to do our academic work. Why do we now, why do we of this generation have to be embroiled in these brutal battles about race and about justice? Take this cup from me. Let me go back and do my Egyptology. And yet this is the cup our generation has been given. HXA accepts that. HXA understands that. And we understand how difficult it is to drink this cup. But we also see how important it is and what an incredible opportunity we have. If we can do this to make our parts of the academy what they might be in this new context of diversity. That's an incredibly inspiring opportunity. 
And I think even pointy-headed academics like me, who in our hearts of hearts prefer to go to our office and close the door and read our books and write our bizarre things, even we can be stirred to open up our doors and open up our windows and become part of this historic process. Activation in a positive way, that's the, that's the name of the game for me with HXA. Activating the faculty, activating the students, activating um, administrators and alums too. And now that I'm beginning my presidency and just starting my term, I'm looking at the possibilities and thinking to myself, okay, activation as an ideal, great, but how do we actually do it? And what I want to do when I'm, what we're actively exploring now, um, more than actively, we're actually starting to making, making some concrete plans. We're finding ways to bring people together on college campuses to do new kinds of things. I'm interested in the idea of building campus chapters for faculty and very likely campus chapters for students too, who can bring new things to their campuses. I'm interested in a different idea. I'm interested in the idea of bringing events to campuses that show people what HHA's values are. Events like I built at Brown, where we have more than one speaker brought into a conversation, structured in a certain way that for as long as the speakers speak in total, the same amount of time is reserved for students to ask questions, students and faculty to ask questions. Events that are set up with more than one speaker not to have debates, not to have gladiators in combat, that's not the HXA way. Rather, events that are set up and speakers who are primed to truly listen to each other, to explore with humility the viewpoints of their interlocutor. One of my ideas is to start giving events to our members to bring to their own campuses as gifts to their campuses that show the HXA way in action. My experience and observation has been that if you create events that are beautiful, that are constructed on these kind of HXA-like values, students and faculty will see the beauty before they even understand what principles are at work, before they understand what principles are making them beautiful. But if they come and they see the beauty, and they will come, by the way, they'll come, if you do it right, they'll come in, in the hundreds. If they do come and see the beauty, it's natural then to start explaining, this is why we did it this way. This is why it's not a debate. This is why we didn't set it up for winners and losers. This is why you're not voting at the end about who won. And then, of course, once we're showing people, we start to tell them. And then we ask them, did you like that event? Did that strike you as what the university should be like? Is that what you thought you were going to get when you stepped on campus as a college freshman that fall day not so long ago? Do you see that maybe you just got it? Do you see that this is actually happening on your campus now? Do you see that maybe, just maybe, there could be more of this still? Do you see, do you see this, this organization saying to you, do you hear them saying to you, hey, you, you person individually, you, do you want to join us to make this happen? Do you want to join this team, you faculty member? Do you want to come out from your dusty office to help us grow this thing on your campus and around the country too? That's activation. It's not just tell your friends that the principals, see if they agree, most people do, tape it outside your door, okay, and that's nice. It's a reason to get beyond fear, to get beyond loneliness, to get beyond intimidation, because one goes straight to pride. One goes straight to pride for a good reason. Pride because you're involved with bringing events to campus that are truly beautiful, that truly show the HXA way. I see us quietly engaged on a project of incredible historical importance.
And it can only be done quietly. We can't bang tin pans and make posters and flags and parade around campus and make this change happen. The very nature of the thing we're trying to do requires humility and gentleness and openness. I think we need to recognize that we're engaged in an historical moment that the world's never seen before. And of course, it's going to be hard to live through this moment. But think if we can do it together. Yeah, I think you're a voice in the darkness. Uh, and I think it, it really comes out in this message of being able to bring in justice and kindness and humility to solving a problem. I don't have the words for it, but I, I think it's a, a really interesting approach that you're bringing to Heterodox Academy. Where should HXA position itself? You know, we're in a world on campuses and in a wider society of, of extremes, letting HXA see itself. or I'm interested in having HXA declare itself as occupying the reasonable middle ground where the real estate is very cheap right now, by the way. And by the middle ground, I don't mean some compromised, wishy-washy place. I mean the great center of liberal democratic societies, a center where people who believe deeply in democracy. Democracy means interacting with people who see the world differently than you do, but insisting that you're going to build a better world together with them. Democracy is fundamentally opposed to this different set of views, these anti-democratic views, Views that say there's the world that composed of good people and bad people. The good people are my tribe, typically. That's why they're good. And the bad people are irredeemable. They're unreachable. And to achieve social progress or achieve social justice, as they sometimes falsely declare themselves to be defending, they say the good need to vanquish the bad. They need to silence them. That's an anti-democratic view. It's a tribal view. It's a certain view about getting towards justice. But notice how low it aims. I think HXA should be occupying that ground, that common ground, of de the truly democratic ground, that insists that social progress is something we do only when we do it all together. It sees our fellow citizens not as divided between tribes of good and evil ones. It sees all of us mixed in terms of our goodness and our evil, in terms of our good intentions and our, and our weaknesses and our failings. But essentially, it sees all of our fellow citizens as in some basic way, beings with a mind, beings with a conscience, beings who can in some sense, in principle at least, be reachable. And if they're reachable, then we approach progress and progressivism in a different way. We insist on progressivism done democratically. That means we insist upon bringing our fellow citizens along with us through reason, through argumentation, through respecting their dignity, through including people, through being sensitive to our own biases, explicit biases and our implicit biases, working hard to become more open, to be more inclusive, because we're committed not just to a ferreting out or identifying and tagging the good versus the evil, so we know who to fight and denounce, but rather because we are, we are aiming higher together. So in the field of conflict on the universities, HXA needs to be a, progress, a progressive voice. In the field of conflict in universities, HXA needs to recognize itself as the premier progressive voice. We are the voice of progressivism, the true voice of progressivism, because we're the true voice of democratic deliberation. We're the true voice that says 
Progress and social justice is something that citizens do together. They don't force it down each other's throat. Democracy is not easy, but democracy is inclusive. It's stubbornly inclusive. We're not going to write people off, no matter what they say. And I have colleagues and friends on the campus who see the world so differently than I do, who they write me off sometimes and I write them off sometimes in the heat of the moment. But when cooler moments arrive, (laughs) we recognize, you know, they see the world in a certain way. I see the world in a certain way. They're biased. I'm biased. Can we get together in some way and learn from each other? Can we overcome these biases? Can we balance our biases and move together towards a more just university and a more socially just world? That's HXA's opportunity. That's why I'm so happy and I'm so proud and worried and nervous to be taking over this organization now. But when I wonder whether we can do it or whether I'm the right person to be doing it, the thing that gives me the most hope is thinking about our membership. It's the membership out there, all those incredibly talented people who share these ideals, people who have, many of whom have been more involved in HXA than I have been in the past, since its birth six years ago. I want HXA to be a lived part of the experience of professors and students all around the world. And that's something that uh, I don't yet, yet know how to do exactly, but I do have faith in the membership that I can learn from them, that can show us, and together we'll find a way. Thank you so much, John. It was a real pleasure to talk to you. Sincerely, thank you very much for that. John Tomasi on Heterodox Out Loud. He began his new role at Heterodox Academy days ago on January 1st. You can learn more about him at heterodoxacademy.org team. Subscribe and download Heterodox Out Loud wherever you listen to your podcasts. Davies Content produced this show. Thanks to Kara Boyer on our communications team and Lexi Polikoff for the beautiful artwork associated with each of our blogs. I'm Zach Rausch. Until next time. <laughs>